Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. This past spring, Lee and Powell counties in eastern Kentucky received record amounts of rainfall, devastating many parts of the region. Two museums and cultural centers, the Red River Historical Society and Museum in Clay City, and the Three Forks Historical Center in Bettyville were flooded. Kentucky Humanities, aware of the destruction the floodwaters had caused, made several phone calls and then sent a request for a $20,000 National Endowment for the Humanities Chairman's Discretionary Fund Award to the office of Acting NEH Chair Adam Wolfson. Soon, $10,000 of that award was in the hands of museum managers Larry Meadows and Ann Smith for restoration at the Red River Museum. Larry, tell me about uh, the museum and uh, as uh, the work that you've been doing and uh, how bad was it when you first uh, discovered that uh, it was up, what, four or five feet? Was it, was it that? Not, not quite five feet, three or four feet. Well, in, in uh, this particular building here, the old Clay City National Bank building, which is our centerpiece of our museum, uh, the Red River Historical Society Museum, uh, the, uh, basically the water's probably around two foot deep. And we had, uh, the night before, we had moved everything that we could upstairs that was possible. Uh, this particular flood was so fast, it just uh, did not allow. And at that time, I had no idea you wouldn't even be able to get close to Clay City the next morning. I thought we could come in here and still move stuff. No, it was already, it was already here big time. And it took us a while to even get in town to where we could see the, the damage. Uh, some drones were sent over to take pictures, and that, that gives us some kind of visual concept from the air that was unbelievable. It was, it was really unbelievable. So the first time you got in here and were able to come in the building, what did you find? Well, the, the Red River mud, every time it gets in, it just coats everything. Everything it gets on, um, it, it just has a layer of mud. In fact, the, the floor was really, really slick. Uh, uh, you had to watch about not falling because it was just uh, uh, any anything that it touched uh, had to be clean. It, uh, all all this material in the next few, few days that week was taken outside. Uh, fortunately, we had a good week with sunshine following that. <clears throat> Everything in this building and all the adjacent buildings was taken out, put in the driveway, washed down, and we just we just had tons of mud being removed. Uh, by water uh, from those items. And of course, we use a lot of fa- fans and all kinds of things to dry the stuff out, the buildings and uh, the relics. And, and then of course, we had a lot of good volunteers come in and, and, and worked uh, very, very hard cleaning, trying to restore the woodwork. It's really nice furniture. That uh, There's no way that we had time or the place to move some very important material, uh, like like the rope, the oak uh, top desk that was in here that was used in this bank, and I, all that stuff got wet two foot deep. So, what are you? Uh, tell me the status today and what your next steps are going to be. 
Well, the main thing right now is to get this building back and all this stuff put in and installed and, and, and all, the, all the stuff that has to be done to, to make it where we can occupy it again and put uh, all this material. We've got uh, some of our big heavy furniture stored in this. Uh, used to be a restaurant next door, belongs to someone else. And so uh, get, this, get it back in, get that shape, start putting this part back together. And once that's done, and then we can start, we'll, we'll be bringing material back in, start hanging stuff up, uh, and then eventually work on all the stuff piled in the upstairs and all the outbuildings. Because most of that material come out of here. We, we, we was not many walls, we didn't have something on. Gail, tell me about uh, your effort and the effort of uh, the volunteers uh, that are with us uh, today and some that uh, aren't here, but uh, when you first saw the damage done by the, the flooding uh, by the water, what, what, did, what were your first impressions? Well, my first impressions were, can we do this? I mean, it was a complete disaster. It was not only the mud uh, here in the museum itself, but uh, there were thousands of pages of genealogical material that had been soaked. And at that point, uh, we didn't know quite what we were gonna do. We just started from uh, square one and our volunteers, tens of them, I mean, uh, came in, uh, separated sheets, hung them up on clotheslines, uh, dried those materials out. And then as far as the furniture and uh, all the relics in here, people, uh, volunteered by coming in, washing those out, carrying uh, them back into buildings. Uh, I mean, it was just a monumental effort by the community and all the volunteers. And people came out of the woodwork literally to help us. Uh, also, uh, we had the Powell County baseball team came down. Those uh, big strong guys uh, uh, did a lot of the lifting and uh, just things that uh, we wouldn't have been able to have done without those volunteers. I think Larry was telling me one day somebody fixed you uh, some sandwiches for lunch, too. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, Larry might want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll swing back over and, okay. and talk to talk Larry. Talk to Larry, yeah. So what is the process now as far as you're concerned? And um, I, I know, uh, without a doubt, you appreciate uh, the funding uh, from the National Endowment for the Humanities uh, and their special uh, chairman's uh, fund that was able to award you uh, $10,000 uh, to at least uh, get your effort started here. What, 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 what happens next? Well, uh, first of all, uh, obviously we're in great gratitude to the Kentucky Humanities and the organizations that uh, helped with that $10,000. Uh, you guys uh, contacted us and uh, we went through the process. And I tell you, uh, without that, we just couldn't, we couldn't have done what we're doing. And it was also, it was a cushion. It was nice to know that we had that kind of money to be able to do some of this stuff. Uh, it was just an invaluable resource. And we look forward to uh, using that to, uh, to bring the museum back up to par and to get it going again. Uh, earlier today, we uh, were discussing when do you think you would be back uh, in shape where the public can come back in and uh, a guesstimate is uh, a couple of months, maybe a little bit longer. What, what do you want uh, people in, uh, whether they're in Eastern Kentucky and Appalachia uh, or all over Kentucky, Central Kentucky coming from Lexington, what do you want them to know about Clay City and the, and the museum, uh, the Red River Museum that's here for people to, um, uh, to learn about? Well, uh, 
we would like for them to visit. We'd like for them to know the culture and the uh, past of this region. Uh, this region played a very important part in the settlement of Kentucky. Some of the earliest people uh, that came into Kentucky came here. We had the iron industry, we've had the lumber industry, and of course we're right next door to Red River Gorge. And we have a lot of the uh, uh, Native American uh, artifacts and the rock art and the bedrock mortars, the hominy holes, lots of uh, things like that that I think people that visit this area would uh, really enjoy seeing and and uh, hopefully realize what an important uh, part Clay City, Powell County, and this area had in the settlement of Kentucky. Larry, uh, I do remember one time when we were on the phone and we were going over some details about what uh, the funding would be able to take care of, and you brought up a uh, some sandwiches that uh, somebody had made up for you and uh, you'd brought them down here and uh, I don't know if that $10,000 is going to cover that or not. Uh, <laughs> tell me about those sandwiches. Uh, well, we, we've had, uh, uh, during our time in our flood crisis, there, there were a, a lot of people brought food and give to the people that were volunteer workers. And the one uh, I remember in particular because they kept coming back every day was the uh, Emmanuel Baptist Church in Stanton. And that they would bring a, a, a really uh, a well-suited meal for. They might bring twenty of them down every day for a couple of weeks. Uh, that that was really a standout. And then of course, all the people that were working here, these people here, and our other friends that uh, didn't make it today, uh, they would always bring supplies, water, soft drinks, and and, and sandwiches and such, and and also cleaning supplies. Got all kinds of them. There's a lot of uh, civic organizations in the county, and they would uh, down to the Clay City uh, Town Building here, the City Hall. Uh, they they brought trucks of water and stuff in for people to give to them, and anybody could come and get uh, get uh, stocked up. Larry, you said that uh, out of this uh, catastrophe. Uh, it brought people uh, to you that you might not have ever seen in here before, that uh, they helped you uh, with all the artifacts and storage and the cleaning and all of that. In some way, it's, uh, it's been a negative uh, and a task to get it all back together and to tear it down and put it back together. But you said that there's, there's been some positivity come out of it, too. Uh, yes, there have. Yeah, there's, it's brought a lot of things that, uh, that, that need to be taken care of that we just had to go ahead. Couldn't wait because it's... The damage was too great. Well, we uh, want to wish you the best. And uh, what what do you hope uh, the public can gain from uh, once again coming to the Red River Museum and, and seeing what uh, you've worked so hard and all the volunteers and a number of people that aren't here today uh, have worked to uh, to put together and will be working to put together? What do you, what do you want people to, to walk away from uh, when they leave uh, Clay City? Well, of course, uh, uh, us personally, we, it probably gives us an opportunity to, to go through everything we got and get it in a lot better order, uh, possibly, than it's ever been. Uh, and, and with that, the awareness, the, uh, the local awareness. There's a lot of people in this town all the years that we've been here, and we don't charge admission, yet there's many, many people that's never been here. And, and a lot of times people come in and say, well, I've lived here all my life. I've never been here. Well, we, we actually rented the upstairs of this building very late in 1965. So we've been here in one form or another many years. 
But I think that's, uh, there's a lot of places, personally, I haven't been, that's good things and good civic organizations in the county. And when you don't have time and people work all the time, you really don't have time to, to get out and appreciate what's in right next door to you. Well, we wish you the best of luck. Thank you. I'll have more on Kentucky flooding after this word from our underwriter for Think Humanities, Spalding University. Spalding University's affordable, nationally distinguished low-residency MFA in writing offers excellent instruction in a compassionate, supportive community. Focus on your own area of concentration, explore across genres, and examine the interrelatedness of the arts. During one-on-one -on -one independent study, you'll write prolifically and receive expert feedback from your faculty mentor, developing the discipline to keep writing for life. Study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, and writing for TV, screen, and stage. Learn more at spalding.edu slash schoolofwriting or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. In Beattyville, the floodwaters crested at 35 feet. Downtown Beattyville was awash in river waters and mud from the Three Forks, north, middle, and south, the birthplace of the Kentucky River. The remaining $10,000 from Chairman Wolfson's discretionary fund and the resources suggested by Karen Kenton, director of the Office of Federal-State Partnership and the NEH staff, gave the managers at both locations hope their museums will survive. In Beattyville at the Three Forks Historical Center, I talked with John David Sippel, a longtime museum worker, and Deidre Brandstetter, Lee County Tourism Director. Uh, Deidre, tell me, uh, to begin with, uh, what you remember about the day that you knew that the waters were coming up and that you had to do something about this and that uh, there was going to be some damage to the uh, to the museum okay uh well i wasn't here whenever it flooded uh, me and a friend took a trip to florida we drove down and the storm that sunday night we couldn't make it back north over jellicoe mountain so we stayed in a motel because of our insistence from our parents not to go any further or we'd be blown off the mountain. Um, and then I have, a, I have the security video uh, on my app on my phone. And as soon as we started seeing posts and parents were calling and friends were calling about the river's coming up, it's coming up, and I thought, well, town maybe, you know, but the museum might be okay. And then, and then logging into that... Um, security system and seeing the outdoor cameras and it getting a bit higher and higher and higher you know and there's nothing really we could have done it it rose so fast it rose like 10 feet in five hours I mean how can you get anything in here by that so uh, we just we just knew that it was in here and we hoped it went down fast and I wanted to get in here a day before John David's like, let's give it another day before opening the doors and getting in here. So I wanted to get in here <laughs> sooner. But, uh, but uh, I think it was a good thing we waited to open the doors up uh, just in case if there's any electrical things or anything just to be safe. So 
But as soon as we opened the doors and come through and saw everything, we knew immediately we need help. <laughs> what was your first impression? What did you see the first time you came in? I'll ask John David the same thing. Um, there was, I mean, water in different places. Uh, even though the water had drained uh, through the drains, there was that that just covering of silt. silt. Yeah, it, everything was just this brown color, just like sandy brown, the whole floor. And then you could see the water level, water line around the walls and on the pianos and the and the benches and the, you know, things like that. So I knew the first thing we had to do was to empty out all the display cases before they got dampness uh, drawn in there. So, so we just, we just did an all call for as much help as we could and we tried to put tables up everywhere and and try to dry out all of our documents and and one thing I think really saved us too where where John David has that background of facilities for the schools and and, and the prison and things he he thought of that floor sweep that uh, compo that compound so he went and got that and got it down on the floor and and when people were volunteered and people walked on it and got up a lot of that dust so they didn't go in the air and i think that really helped a lot too john david i want you to tell me a little bit about the history of the museum and history of the building but first i just want to get your reaction following what deidre said about the flood itself and um, uh, what your reaction was the first time you saw the inside well uh i got a phone call about five o'clock on Monday morning. And when I got up, I had two or three texts and some pictures. And by then, the, it was over the road out here in front. And of course, they had town blocked off. You couldn't get through town. They had it blocked up here above Dairy Queen and I got a hold of another member uh, who lives out this way, and he he come down here, and he sent me some pictures, and I asked him, I said, how far is it up in it? He, he said, well, he said, right now it's about, uh, looks like it's in it about an inch deep, but said it's raising. Said it's still coming up, uh, by the time I had to drive all the way around and got back around to this side, and I had to park way up here and, and walk down, uh, they had the roadblocks up there. time I got down here, I, it, it was, you could tell it was two foot in it. And I was expecting uh, places in town, a few low places had had this before. And I was actually expecting to come in and find three or six inches of heavy mud. And when when we came in, we didn't have that. You could tell the air was just heavy with moisture. Must have been 80% humidity in here. And documents were, even stuff that was up dry, you could tell they were damp, wet. Mm -hmm. So we got fans and dehumidifiers and got them running and got the doors open and got air moving and worked around and moved the fans and moved the dehumidifiers and we've kept them going the whole, whole time to keep it dried out. 
John David, I want you to tell me about um, the history of the building, how long you've been involved uh, with uh, the museum, and uh, the lady who you uh, give a lot of credit to for really starting uh, the collection and, and keeping it up. But I think most interesting is the work that was done by the state prison here and, and what the prisoners did for you. Uh, the, the concept, the idea of a museum arose in the late 70s or early 80s by some local people who belonged to the Kiwanis and they wanted to start an oil field museum. By the mid 80s, the price of crude oil had dropped to nothing and it was kind of abandoned. But the Kiwanis already had the property, it had been donated to them. And a lady, Ms. Lily Kincaid, who was a retired teacher and administrator, and she taught American history and civics. And she got a hold of it and got, got, the, uh, got it back alive. And uh, she applied for Frankfurt and got a grant. Uh, I, I believe it was a $30,000 grant to get it started. When, when the museum was started, all they had the, through the school board, they had got an architect to draw a concept drawing and a floor plan. Well, that's all, we, all they had when I got a hold of it. And they, the prison agreed to use inmate which the inmates donated their time to uh, work on it, help build it. Of course, we had a vocational program at a big wood shop uh, that the inmates were taught in, and uh, uh, some people that worked with me at the museum, who a couple of them are what I call master builders. We designed the, the building. We actually changed it some from the original concept, <clears throat> made it a lot bigger. We designed the building, did, drew all the blueprints by hand, and had a local guy who had a CAD computer and drew the blueprints up for us on regular blueprints. Had a local guy who was an engineer, was raised here, and then lived in Lexington. He went over the blue blueprints, had us some correction stuff, and he, as an engineer, he stamped them and signed off on them. We had to go to Frankfurt, Miss Kincaid, and, and Joanne Dunaway, another lady was involved in it. At that time, I wasn't on the committee. And I remember on the way down there, I knew what, what a hassle that it was to get a building permit, especially for a commercial building. I thought, we're going to be forever getting this permit. Well, this lady, Miss Kincaid, she had, was a stickler, and she'd really done her homework. We went into this office, and two guys in there, and we told them what we wanted. He said, well, he said, the first thing you got to do is fill out an application. She got her briefcase out, and she handed him an application. 
He said, well, then you'll have to submit this one document. One document after the other they asked her for. She and she it. just laid them, just, just laid them in front of them. And then he, he said, there's a fee of so much, and she handed him a check. <laughs> and he said, now, you've got to get blueprints. Of course, I was sitting there with a big cardboard tube. I had 21 pages of blueprints. In. And I pulled them out and handed them out. He looked at me. He said, are these stamped by an engineer? I said, yes, sir. And they thumbed through them and looked at them. And uh, he said, well, said, we seem to have everything we need, so we'll inspect them and go over the documents and we'll get back with you. And as we walked out, one of the fellows walked out with us and he, he said, you all really did your homework. Yeah. He said, usually it's 10 or 12 trips down here to get all this stuff. Well, John David, give me just a real quick description of the, of the building, of the interior, the, the woodwork, uh, the wood, uh, all local wood that the prisoners worked with, the, the trees uh, that, that are used, and, and just a description of how some of this is, uh, is put together. Uh, this building design is called a, a, a trust and beam. And all the wood in here is local wood from this area, Lee County or surrounding counties, that was cut and sawed in, in surrounding county, either Lee County or surrounding county. The walls are made of pine, which is five-quarter pine, tongue and grooved. And it was, it, we, we had the lumber sawed. We took it to a kill dry, place that killed out of the lumber force. We took it to the prison where we had a wood workshop. It was all planed and tongue and grooved at the prison. And the, the uh, stringing structure and the post were, were we bought at a local mill. They're just, they're just rough. Uh, all the doors are made of six different kinds of hardwood native to the area. It was proce processed the same way. It was cut, sawed, taken and had killed dried, took to the prison. It was plain, dressed down, and tongue and grooved or cut into different strips or whatever. And the doors are solid, six-inch doors. Uh, there you, you, I showed you time, and that, there's, There's seven doors, and on the se seven doors, each door has a different design pattern on each side. So there's 14 different designs on the doors, on those seven doors, plus the design on the visitor counter is, is, an, is another design. Well, it's a truly an amazing, um architectural feat. Um, I, I think that 
Uh, Deidre, besides just the artifacts that you have in here and the collection that you have from all over, and it's, uh, I can't begin to describe uh, hundreds and hundreds of, of items uh, for people to see, but the, the building itself, the woodwork itself, uh, the door, uh, doors uh, are amazing. Uh, for, for anyone interested in uh, building product or uh, just to see what uh, handwork uh, yeah. can be done. Uh, Deidre, tell me about craftsmanship. You're exactly right. Uh, give me just an idea, if you would, uh, about just a few of the items that you have in here and what you want this museum to represent uh, when people come to Beattyville or out on the highway uh, traveling through. Just give me an idea of what, what you have in your collection. Okay. Uh, when people come through here uh, and go through our museum, they, they take with them what it was like to grow up here and the way the home life was before electricity, before cell phones, to teach the kids, you know, how, how we found our way around, what a party line was when the, whenever you uh, tried to call somewhere, our rich military history of everyone that has served. And so we have a military wing where family members have donated uh, items from you know the, either their fallen soldier or from their uniform when they actually retired it and that was passed down so we do have uniforms and scabbards and things that officers and soldiers picked up from other countries and brought back foreign currency things like that that kids can look at um, we have a, a home life section with uh, things how they would cook their meal um, the cast iron you know, skillets and stoves, the pots, how they churned butter, how they washed their clothes, how they, um, even how they made moonshine in the hills. So we actually have a full-scale moonshine steel and a miniature moonshine steel. Because back then, moonshine was currency. So we had, we get to tell about that. There's a rich Native American history here too. Uh, there's a lot of Indian arrowheads here um, that were collected by a few people throughout a lifetime. Uh, one is that Bob Smith, our president of the museum, now he, he when he was little and growing up romping through the hills, he'd, he'd dig and find all these arrowheads. So there's a wonderful display and plus things that he bartered and traded over the years um, with, for that. Uh, we have a couple old pump organs. Uh, we have a player piano, which is really neat from the era to show people. A lot of historical items too that reflect the peak of industry in our in our times. The Three Forks area had a boom in oil, and then it receded. It had a, it had a boom in timber, and logging is still going. And it had rail how railroads you know come into Eastern Kentucky and transported people and goods and services, and provided so many jobs back then. And how people would just migrate here from all over the country because this is where the jobs were, uh, and how big at one time that that we were, and some of the tools and things they used in the craft and all those different types of industries. We even have, you know, a, a timeline of different cameras from flash photography all the way up from the Polaroid all the way up to something, you know, now before, before digital, kids don't know what film is. They don't know that, you know, you had to get film developed. They, there's this instant, you know, they didn't have the instant gratification of taking a picture and seeing it right there on the screen. You had to I remember being so excited to get my film developed when I was growing up to see what kind of pictures I got. So um, there's, there's a lot in here, a lot of things from 
different communities that we had that don't have county don't have country stores anymore you know the Heilberg area at one time was a big booming place the many post offices that don't exist anymore were down to just a few post offices and some items from there and just the pride of our different little communities within our county and within the Three Forks area well I know that um, what uh, the National Endowment for the Humanities um, and what uh, Kentucky Humanities was able to do through a special chairman's request yeah. uh, to fund at least the very beginning of your restoration, uh, you must be very pleased with and uh, hopefully all the people in, in the county and, and surrounding counties will also uh, take a look at this and, and be very proud of what uh, all of you, John David, have been able to do over the years. That, that, that nomination is literally a lifesaver for this facility. Absolutely. You have, you, I mean, it, we were bad, afraid we'd never recover till we got that. And, and it, it, they, like she said, we've tried to represent the Three Forks River area which its main, what, it, what it actually made it most famous was the beginning of it, even when it was part of Virginia, was the timber industry. And this was the route, the Kentucky River was the transportation hub to take timber down the river to Lexington, Louisville, and Franklin. And we, we have tools and equipment that represent that timber industry before it was a, even uh, Kentucky was a state. We have tools and equipment that represent the coal industry, which was booming here uh, not long when it was Kentucky, but this whole, all these counties were Clay County, Kentucky. And then the railroad industry came, they, they built the locks and dams on the Kentucky River, which created more river traffic through barges, the railroad, the turn of the century, the oil industry, uh, the big sinking field over here, was a leading oil producer in production per barrel of oil per year for several years. Uh, the coal industry has been, has been here ever since the early 1800s. Uh, of course, the timber industry was here before that. We have ha the agricultural industry. Uh, we have things that represent every industry that was ever in this area or in eastern Kentucky. Well, we're glad that you're uh, almost back in operation, uh, continuing to, uh, to do the cleanup and the restoration work. Uh, thank you for giving us a, a tour of the museum, and uh, good luck to both of you. Thank you very thank much. Thank you very much, and thank you for the money. We greatly appreciate it. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.